Hi guys, welcome back to My Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Another fantastic day, another great day for an interview. I've got Jason Kendrick with me today. Jason is a fellow author and I'm that excited to have him on the show. And really, Jason, quite rightly so, is all about connection and is all about the importance of, of human interaction. And going back in time, um, going 50 years back, there were experiments where essentially we have seen the importance of, of uh, the connection. They took rats, put them into a cage, and then let them choose between heroin-laced water and water. And the rats went for the heroin, wanted to have a good time. Okay. Their call. Then they changed the experiment and they put the rats into Disneyland for rats with other sexy rats running around and doing what other rats are happily doing. And suddenly these rats having again the, the same choice between heroin-laced water and water, they went for the water. They didn't want to be numbed. They actually loved what was going on. Hmm. So do rats actually have got a head start on us that they are programmed to actually look for the human connection, which we have lost with our masks? So that will be one of the many topics that we're going to address today. Jason, I'm so pleased to have you on my show. Welcome. Thank you so much, Devon. It's been just a great journey to get to know you and to, to be in that uh, uh, breakdown to wake up project with you and then now to, to connect here and 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 I love what you do there's there's so much in the world around addiction and and, and unhealthy behaviors and having outlets and, and information from those like you that have kind of been through that to, to help people really awaken and heal is such a, a good thing and I know from my side when we were just talking before that I feel like connection is really the key because we're missing that so much. I mean, we're, we're losing a lot of the neighborhood connection, the village connection. You know, I remember growing up to, we, we knew our neighbors and we played with the kids down the street. And now it seems like you have to make an effort to find out who lives right next door to you or in the same building on the same block. And so we're just, I guess, being trained or just losing the, need for that connection or just the thought that we should have this connection as part of our normal everyday healthy lives and what and maybe it's just because we don't understand the benefits of what human connection really brings to our lives and us being human animals we need that connection and it goes all the way back to, to to babies you know if we don't if a baby doesn't have human connection or hugs or touch they may not even survive and, and we see that there are enough um, examples of orphanages in not so nice parts of the world where the behavior that results from these young, poor beings being completely neglected, not necessarily starved in, in real terms, although obviously malnutrition is often a, a role there too, but the, it's the human connection. That is missing and these people have these are strange people that mm -hmm. are growing up there so no you're so right how did you come on to that i mean how you realized that this was one of the, the key things as far as your work is concerned but 
where did it arose in your in your own growth? Well, I mean, like most of us, you, you teach best what you most need to understand. And in my life, I I live with now what's called complex PTSD, which is you know um, a more subtle form of of the normal PTSD, which is really trauma based. Mine is more of the same thing. It's it's from neglect, and it was not from a neglectful family who didn't love me or or who you know didn't care for me. It was more of just that time of of generation where both my parents worked I went to school and so they were busy putting food on the table and they had their careers and these different things and so and it was just kind of a more of a unknowing or ignorance around what connection and what what children need and what what healthy emotional upbringing is mm. and so I just kind of grew up in this my, my family is military and so we moved around a lot and then you know they're always working and then as we moved around a lot, I didn't have necessarily those foundational connections. I didn't really, you know, I'm always having to make new friends, different places. And so it just came into this thing where I learned to be more of a chameleon and, and try to make everybody else happy. And I wanted to be liked and all these different things. And it wasn't until many years later when I had many failed relationships and I'm going, all right, fine. I'm in my thirties, late thirties now. And I'm obviously the common denominator in all these relationships. So maybe I should start looking at me and heal whatever's going on within me. And that journey of going through a lot of personal development and different studies of um, neurolinguistics and, you know, personal development and these things where I came across uh, complex PTSD and neglect and these things. And, and it was really interesting because one of the probably most detrimental things about complex PTSD is that it is so subtle. Mm -hmm. And I remember asking myself and wondering why am I struggling so much and why am I not as successful as Joe Blow or whoever? I don't have abuse or trauma or these things in my life. So why am I having these unhealthy patterns in my life? And it wasn't until I really was introduced to complex PTSD and how subtle it is because it's more of a not having your needs and then um, replacing it with something else and, having this constant little things of, of little words or phrases or just things that are said to you that you take in, especially as a child, because you don't know any better. And it, it may be completely misconstrued, but as you know, a child, you're egocentric. So you say, well, obviously there must be something wrong with me. So you take that in at face value and take that in as law. And then that starts a program and, and create these patterns within yourself and within your life. And so for me, it was really just a journey of self-discovery. And then once I finally discovered that, it was an epiphany of, oh, well, this makes so much sense why throughout my life I've isolated, I've self-sabotaged, I've been, I've gone in and out of addiction of, of different sorts, sex addiction, alcoholism, drug addiction, different things where it's just looking for something to feel the whole. But as we know, nothing outside of me can feel that. And so it's I've been probably about a good five years now really on that journey of rebuilding and reconnecting and healing the inner child and the inner teenager. And really almost like I, I, I joke sometimes with my clients, it's like the Russian nesting dolls. We've got to put all those little dolls, all those little pieces back together to create the whole being. And so that's been part of my journey. And now I feel like it's time to bring this more to the masses because of alcoholism, drug abuse. I mean, coming from a military background here in the States, we have 22 to 30 different veterans killing themselves each day because they're lacking connection. They're lacking support. They are dealing with PTSD and trauma. And 
it's not getting any better because we're being becoming more and more isolated. And so doing this work and, and bringing it to corporations and couples and, and, and families is, is really part have become my passion because it's such a necessity for us to, to not only just survive, but to thrive and to have healthy connection and healthy relationships and to, to let go of all these unhealthy patterns of addiction and, and separation that we're really going through right now. Some of our listeners and, and viewers might get a bit defensive from that. Because whilst I utterly agree and understand, as you pointed out, we come from a, a generation where we were the key, uh, in Germany we call it Schlüsselkinder, and I think yeah. Latchkey. Latch yeah, Latchkey kids. Yes. Latchkey kids, I think that's. So yeah. you came home, you had your, your key around your neck, mm -hmm. and then you sorted yourself out because mommy mm -hmm. and daddy were working. And the generations before us, by necessity, there were many, many, many families who equally had to work. So therefore, that was the norm. And people around us might point out, well, actually, we didn't turn up this broken like this generation now is. So what has changed? I'm purely playing devil's advocate. Oh, I'm yeah, actually 100% agreeing with you. <laughs> but what has changed? What I think, I think the biggest difference is, and this is what it took me a while to figure out because neither one of my parents are evil people. They, they didn't, it wasn't like they didn't love me or anything. It was mainly because of their upbringing. And I know my father's especially his father passed when he was five years old. So he was raised by his single mother and basically his, his two older sisters had to babysit him and kind of raise him. And so he didn't really have that healthy masculine influence. And so emotional connection and and being there to actually have those quality time wasn't something he experienced so he didn't know to create that so if both parents worked but then once they came home they had dinner and they decompressed and they really connected and were present with their kids it, it a lot of times negated that feeling of neglect for me I kind of learned to walk in eggshells and to make sure I did enough to not basically be noticed or be seen because him doing the best that he could with what he was given his kind of fatherly pattern was to try to toughen me up. And by nature, I'm a sensitive empath. And so I just learned to kind of do what was necessary to kind of stay out of his way, because if he saw me, then he wanted to make sure I was doing the right thing. And then he was very kind of critical and, and judgmental and wanted to make sure I was, you know, doing my part and getting good grades and doing those things. But the way I took it was every time dad saw me, he was going to be judgmental. And I, you know, I was going to, be be shown what I was doing wrong or that I wasn't enough again and so it, it's not necessarily any outward thing but it's it's almost these little things that we just don't think are that important but become the catalyst for healthy relating and, and healthy families because we a lot of families I know one of the reasons I always mention that would come from a military family because that's always very task oriented it's about getting the job done and there's a there's a, a bigger thing that we're working towards and so sometimes the little things like the family connections can fall through the, the cracks. So for them, it was there's we've got food on the table. There's a roof over your head. You've, you've, we've got money and, and you're taken care of. And that's what was most important. So we would forget the actual connection and, and the communication and, and that emotional support that a lot of us were just lacking and, and not from any sort of malicious point of view. But that was just 
how they grew up, and then that was how I grew up. And so for a lot of us now, especially in our generation, we're seeing these patterns and having to work through these generational traumas, work through these these things and and be more aware and, and acknowledge them. And I think with a lot of the addiction, a lot of the suicides, a lot of the the things that we're dealing with now, they're becoming so prevalent that we really can't ignore them. We're having to look back and go, well, where does this stem from? And a lot of this is very generational. I mean, there's it's not just one generation, but maybe three or four. Very true. Very true. Do you know about the, the suicide statistics outside of the military? Because I mean, the 22 to 30 is, is just crazy if you look at it as from a veteran's perspective. Um, it's... I know the veterans one because that's close to my heart being a veteran. Um, although I have seen a lot of the reports, especially here in the States with, you know, teens to thirties during COVID, during all these things, becoming more suicidal, becoming more addicted, becoming more substance abusers because of the lack of connection. And I think in a lot of ways, because we have had so, so many years of not focusing on connection and intimacy and, and emotional support that it's just exacerbated these issues. Now we have a lot of, you know, younger, young adults that don't have the training or the awareness to know what they need. And so like most of us, we don't know what we need. So we grasp on whatever helps to, to negate or whatever helps to, to mitigate those, those feelings. And so sometimes it just gets to that point of, I, I can't do it anymore. So true. And, and that's what I kept saying. That was the, the biggest realization in my life. Having been to rehab myself um, for four weeks, uh, afterwards, it very quickly became clear to me that I want every 16-year-old mandatory to go to rehab for mm. four weeks uh, as part of their school curriculum to actually learn about how to deal with negative emotions, to learn about the, the, all the issues of the connection, live an authentic life, etc. And getting the tools handed to them with which they then can address the trauma that will come during their lives, oh. the challenges that will arise in front of them. Uh, this is not, this is, there is no way that we can somehow protect our youngsters and put them into bubbles and and have it all nice. No, 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 you're not allowed to go on the internet. You're not allowed to do this. You're not allowed to do that. Oh my God, you could hurt, could get hurt. Well, guess what they will try to do the moment you let them loose and finally you have to. So now um, I subscribe to, to showing the youngsters how to live. And I think that is probably the biggest legacy I can do nowadays. I was certainly a very, like your dad, probably a very driven man, and still am. And to do small talk, a quotation mark, to just sit there, do nothing is near torture to me. So there you are, maybe addicted to work. I don't know, you can call it whatever it is. But there is this flow and effect that I constantly have to work with. And it is, it's not easy. There is no, not an easy, easy way out. I mean, you must find yourself equally there. You're here. You are. You're an author. You've written a book. Um, to write a book is means you work, and then you add in 
another six hours, eight hours. And by the time it's actually published, that's a year out of your life in which you have done pretty much two jobs. Um, so there you go. We we fall into the same the same trap, isn't it? Yeah, I was fortunate with my first two that I actually had a job where I was supervising. And so I was able to kind of do both at the same time because I wasn't, I didn't have to be as active. I was more there to put out fires and to make sure everybody showed up and everything. And so I could sit at my desk and have two windows open on my computer. And so if nobody needed me, I could switch over to the book and work on that. So that was very fortunate because I I could imagine how hard it is when you have to work a full-time job and then get creative afterwards, get creative afterwards. But yeah, it's been very interesting. And I think, I mean, this new book project is just another aspect of that journey because you know my father you're, you're right he was very driven and that was part of his coping mechanism he, he he very much associated his validation and his worth with how much he got done in a day and so most of our connection was usually within something like golf or maybe um working on something that you know and so there wasn't a lot of talking but there was that kind of communication it was it was and it was Few and far between. He was busy. And of course, with once my parents divorced, I was back and forth between the two of them. And so and then um, we spent since he was in the military and after my parents split, I lived with my mother for a couple of years. And then I went back with him when I was about 11, 12. And then he was we went from Texas back to Germany. And so I lived in the Nuremberg area for four years from 12 to 16. And that and, you know, you're you, you grew up there. There's something about the teenage years in Europe with the freedom of movement and the buses and the trains and the subways. And I got into skateboarding and things. And so my teenagers were amazing. And then in some ways we lost even more opportunity to connect because he was always going off on movements and things. And I was always just out, yeah. you know, and we had this routine, which is kind of funny. Now I think about it. Like I had to be home at midnight. So I would come home at midnight and he'd be up reading and then I would go into my room and then I would go to the bathroom. And so he knew I was home and I would come out of the bathroom and his light would be off and he'd be in bed and I'd go to my room and sometimes sneak back out or you know, do whatever. But it was, it was just a lack of awareness around how to truly, really connect. And it, it was just how we are. We used to actually joke about it, uh, especially when I got into my 20s, that no news is good news. So if we weren't calling each other, that was good news. Everything was fine which is kind of a, I look at now like a coping mechanism of, well, we don't really know how to talk and connect. So this is just what we accept. Exactly. And it didn't really come to a head or really get to the point of me seeing what the, what the big problem with that was until he was literally on his deathbed. He uh, had pancreatic cancer. And I went to see him when he first started treatments and he was still pretty active and still you know, pretty good. We got to play golf. So things were pretty normal, except for he had white hair all of a sudden. Then the next time he called and said he was done with treatment because his quality of life had diminished so much that he was just done. So then I had to rush to go see him and he was on so many pain meds and things. He slept like 23 hours a day. And then I went through this kind of gut wrenching thing of, I really want to connect. I want to have this final conversation with him, but he's only maybe awake an hour if that much. And he's not very coherent because of all the drugs and things. And it was, and then of course, even thinking about it, it was kind of like, well, how do we even do that? How do I even, you know, his wife at the time had said, well, if you want to go in and lay with him and snuggle him, and that was just such a non sequitur, like, we don't do that. How would I, as much as I would crave that or would want to do that, how do we cross that bridge? And 
And so it was really after his passing and going through that grief that I realized how much this had affected me and how much this was my calling and purpose in life was to really tr do what I can to try to heal the father-son relationship in the, in the country and the world because so many of us just out of ignorance are creating these disconnected relationships. And then with as much going on with nice guy syndrome and the unhealthy masculinity in the world, these are really where those things start is the connection between father and son, those relationships and learning what healthy masculinity is because I did not. And so now I'm having to teach myself after the fact and then doing things like I have my partner that I do my podcast with that we talk about men's issues and, and things, but he's also one of his purposes in life is to create rite of passages for young men, for teenage boys, so that they can have that point in their life that most of us, especially in our generation, don't, we didn't have. And probably for many generations before of now you're 12, 13, 14 year old boy, you're becoming a man. Here's the line. Now you're crossing this line. You're becoming, coming into manhood. You're becoming a man. Because in my coaching practice, so many men that I work with, and I've run men's groups, and it was almost a 90, 95% percentage of men that I worked with in these men's groups that didn't feel like men. They didn't have that I'm a man thing. They just felt like older boys. They felt like they were still this 16, 17, 18-year-old boy, but now their bodies had just aged. There was almost this lack of connection to I am a man now. And that's one of those things I think is very much leads down the path to isolation, disconnection, addiction, suicide, these, these unhealthy behaviors, because yeah, I'm 30, 40 something year old male. Maybe I don't, I, inside, I don't feel like a man. And so that makes me feel less than. But you have described, you have described so many people that I meet mm -hmm. and that seems to be the, the, the common theme, so to speak. Interestingly enough, women are far more likely to speak out about that and have the insight about that. So if I look at, my, at the followers of the show or the, the, the people who follow me on Instagram, it's probably what 90% of uh, is women um, who have had that insight and, and are trying now to reconnect. Many of the healers that I meet and, and the, the, the life coaches that I meet, they're all female. So it is so important that we have you and a small select group of, of people out there who who taking on the man's world, uh, however broken it is, um, and try to open our eyes to live our life authentically, to live to live a life that we can be proud of. And unfortunately, for many men, that is work, 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 work. That's what we do best. That's where we can define ourselves. That's where we can validate ourselves. And then when you come home, you might get sort of a relationship with your wife. And then you've got the children who haven't washed up, uh, who haven't done this, haven't done that. And you can see where, where the frustration is. For me, often enough, I, I'm, I work very hard. I, I pride myself on working very hard. That's me. And often to my detriment that I'm coming to a point close to burnout or sometimes to burnout. And then I'm getting pissed off that I'm not getting the help that I deserve, that I want, that I love. And it is hard. It's hard to step out of that 
to actually just take the camera out there and see what the hell is going on here. Why are you angry with your son? Because you have burned out and you now want help, but he doesn't give it to you. So it's all his fault. So, hmm. And that's where I catch myself again and again and again. So what I'm saying, guys out there, if you're listening to that or watching this, hell, I'm in exactly the same boat. Whilst I got my shit together, my ducks in a row, uh, in many other aspects of my life, it's that relationship with my sons. And in all fairness, also with other people, that is probably something I need to work on. And yeah, here I, mean, I am. Seven years down the line, from from after after a lot of self development, yeah. you think you're finished after a while? <laughs> hey, <you're> right. <laughs> Sorry, Jason, it's, it's I was interrupting you. Oh no, that's fine. It's, it's it's an ongoing process, and it is interesting because the majority of my audience, especially in our podcast, we have a Mad Men and Masculinity podcast where we talk about male issues and, and things, and the majority of our audience is women. 35 to 55 who have had these experiences and, and are wanting to understand men more. And because a lot of times of just societal pressure, men are not supposed to ask for help or to, mm. you know, that's, that's weakness or to say there's something wrong and I'm missing something is, is to be weak and not masculine. Mm. And that's one of the things that has really come to the forefront because with nice guy syndrome, which basically, the, the the quick history of nice guy syndrome is that since the, the turn of the century and the beginning of the industrial revolution before that when we were an agrarian society and men and boys grew up on the farms next to the fathers in the fields or with the the animals or whatever they just had a natural education of masculinity and then after the industrial revolution men started going to factories and to businesses and then they started leaving the homes there was this natural progression to well now the rearing of the kids and the raising of the children is women's work so the women stay home and raise the kids and the women weren't always the most excited and happy with their husbands. So they were, I want to make sure my boy, my, my, my beautiful son treats women well and is, is a lovely, wonderful, you know, human being, but they were, the, the boys weren't necessarily getting a healthy example of masculinity. They were learning what it means to be a man from their mothers. And then the school system is 95% feminine. So over several generations, we have, several generations of men raised by women. And so we just didn't have this natural, healthy example of masculinity. And so we've been trained to look to the feminine for our validation because most of us in some form, fashion or, or whatnot are mama's boys, or we look to, you know, mom raised us. So we love our mothers. And then we, we've been raised to be gentlemen and which are all great things. We need to have that emotional awareness and, and that side to us. However, we've forgotten the purpose and and the the foundational masculinity that that and that's why so many men nowadays don't feel like men and they're so struggling in relationships because we've lost that foundational purposeful i'm a man piece which comes from that inner work but without having an example a lot of times you just assume well maybe i'm not a man or maybe i don't know and so our examples nowadays since most of our fathers are either absentee because they work they're absentee because of divorce or absentee because of just emotional ignorance we learn from tv and movies and books what a man is and that doesn't <laughs> usually lead to healthy relating <laughs> no I keep laughing because uh, if I think back at my role models of the 80s, it was 
Mel Gibson and Lethal Weapon. It was the, the yeah. kind of broken heroes there who wake up, take a, a piss whilst they have a fact and, <laughs> and a beer. You know, yeah. that's, yeah, hmm, <laughs> exactly. But I can't blame Mel Gibson. I mean, we can blame him for a lot of things, but no, I, that's going one step too far. Uh, but it just reflects. I think it's a, it's a, it's a sign of where I was seeking my my heroes, where I was seeking the definition, what is a man? What is a man? What? Because I didn't have the, the, the father figures in my life. So oh. same story there. It is it seems to be a repeating kind of thing. The more you actually talk to people, it is something similar coming up. And I think it's also fair to say that whilst we now recognize that we need to do some work there, it's pretty hard to undo 30, 40 years of beliefs, of things that you thought were right, and that is the way it is. And now suddenly people like you and me are coming along and say, well, actually, hmm, how did that go so far? Uh, yeah. And chances are it didn't probably go so well. Um, yeah. I think for those of you listening out there, I think there's one thing to be said. The past does not equal the future. Okay. So at any one moment in time, you have a choice or many choices in fact, but let's boil it down to one choice. Right now, you made the choice of watching this. You made the choice of listening and trying to understand maybe some of aspects of your own life. So that is a choice, that is a conscious choice. You took action to actually come here. And for that, I commend you guys. Now the next step is to let that seed literally land in the soil up there and let uh, water it and actually see, hmm, okay, that actually makes sense. So how would you go about it? And that, that question is to you guys out there, but also to you, Jason. Um, if how do men actually come well actually first of all it's the girls that come to you there you go the 95 percent so see we're barking up the wrong tree for crying out loud how would how do we get men to listen to something like that well funny enough it does tend to be the women leading the way and it really it's um it's almost a abbreviated 12-step process it's mm -hmm. it's the awareness it's the education piece and so one of the reasons i tend to focus mainly on working with couples and, and people in relationship once they understand what they're dealing with and because it's not just nice guy syndrome it's not just unhealthy masculinity a lot of women just as, as a response to nice guy syndrome have kind of fallen to the superwoman syndrome where they spend a lot of lot of time in their masculinity, you know, they run their businesses, they run the households, they're the mother, they're 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 the CEO, and they also have to look cute doing it. And not and then of course they've adopted the most unhealthy masculine trait of, well, I cannot ask for help because that's weakness. And so I have to be all things to everybody without asking for help. <laughs> and then they have all these nice guys running around at their heels going, what do you need? What do you need? I want to help you. I want to help you. And, and so maybe they'll throw them a bone occasionally let them help, but they have no sexual attraction to those men because they're not stepping into their masculinity and they don't respect them. And so it's a, this convoluted mess we've got ourselves into of 
men losing their masculine and becoming more feminine, women kind of stepping out of their feminine to become more masculine so they can take over and do like mothers do, which is take care of the house, which is take care of business. And so it's educating so that we can educate the men about why they're struggling in relationships, why they're struggling these ways and start that healing process of stepping back into the masculine in a healthy way, not in the Mel Gibson, lethal weapon, John Wayne, old paradigm of masculine, but in a healthy way. And then allowing, getting the, the women to feel safe to let down their guard a little bit to, 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 to give over and then to create those healthy partnerships where we can actually work together instead of the competitive thing. Uh, we, we talk a lot about how in relationships today, it's very difficult if you're not aware that both men and women run masculine and feminine energies. And if they're both out in the workforce, they're both in their masculine energy, they're task oriented, they're, you know, they're, they're goal oriented. And then they come home and they need to do this shift. But if you're not aware of it, you're not consciously shifting. So then you tend to have the men and women come home and they're masculine and start butting heads. Mm. And so we educate a lot of our men like, okay, now that you are aware of these two different paradigms going on, when your woman comes home, it's time for you to take action and to help her get out of her masculine. So it's like, hey, honey, welcome home. Here's a glass of wine. Let's get you in your sweats. Let's put your hair up. Let's get you to relax. And as she gets back into her feminine, then you can create the polarity, which is necessary for healthy relating and, and, and sexual attraction. However, when we're running the same energies and we don't know, no wonder divorce rates are 50%. No wonder relationships are very hard to have because we're just unaware of what's actually going on within us and within our relationships. So that education piece is the first one, especially in relationships, when you educate yourself with your partner and start to look at that together and it becomes something you do together. You want to create a, a healthy, strong foundation, you know, based relationship. It's working through these things together and educating each other together. And then as you're learning and growing together, you're kind of growing together, mm. it, literally, and, and creating a much more strong bond and foundation. Hmm. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of food for thought here. <laughs> uh, God, I so hope that many men will listen to that, but also women will listen to that, because you have actually boiled it down in half an hour to, to some very powerful insights that, if taken on appropriately and acted upon, should create a much more beautiful relationship in a marriage after all opposites attract and uh, that is a force of nature and if we suddenly both try to become the the work 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 and then crash um yeah there is not so much of attraction there is there interesting interesting and it is a powerful tool to it well when i see because one of the things I think we were dealing with too is there's that, that old plastic perfect mentality from the 80s and 90s of there's nothing wrong with me and I'm all perfect and you know I have these smooth edges so there's nothing to grab onto. And what I'm finding, especially working with couples, once you let that go and say, I'm not broken, I just have these unhealthy patterns that I want to work on and you start to work on that together, then you get into those, there's, there's those sharp pieces, those little jagged edges, but that's where we can grip onto and it's so it's so amazing. I, I can talk to a couple for five minutes and just kind of pinpoint personality things or just little things that they may have been in dealing with. Then they start laughing and almost invariably the woman or the, the, the man or the woman will look at the other one and go, 
oh, that's why you do that. I always wondered why you did that. And and it's just the, the so much fun because with that those educational pieces, relationships stop becoming such a work and becomes more of an awareness and, and an, an acceptance piece. Because when we don't know, every time our partner's triggered, we think it's our fault and vice versa. But when we understand their triggers and their traumas and, and the things that they're working on, we can be loving support and helping them heal, but not taking it on is, is our personal responsibility, which is a huge thing. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Um, I'm bloody tempted to become a guest of your, not just of your show, that we talk about that after this mm -hmm. show, but uh, to become a guest in your program um, yeah. and maybe together with my son, actually, yeah. and just do some work here together because there is so much that that we all can do to just hold a mirror in front of our face mm -hmm. and have a really good look and say, is that really the, the life you want to live? Is that really, are you happy? Are you truly happy? Or are you just putting up that facade, that facade, that, that mask even to yourself? And I certainly for a long time have done that. And my suspicion now, the way your words resonate in me means that there is still a mask up there that I have just discovered. It's really pissing well, me off. <laughs> that, that, that brings up a, because I, I always, especially for the guys and, and when we do the pod, there's some great books out there that cover a lot of these issues. Like No More Mr. Nice Guy is probably the first one by Dr. Robert Glover that I tell people to read. But then talking about masks, The Mask of Masculinity by Lewis Howes. Because men don't have just one. We probably have eight to 12 that we normally switch between. And so talking about not just taking off one mask, but taking off several masks and understanding that we don't need to be the, the workaholic, achiever, hero, alpha male, stoic, um, all these different things. And just being being able to be present with ourselves, which I think for men is probably the hardest thing. And that's usually where the healthy relationships come from is being present and honest with our families and with our partners and saying, I'm actually feeling this right now and I need to deal with this or I would like your support or just even verbalizing because that's part of that old masculine paradigm. We, we don't talk about it. We just don't talk. And so having healthy outlets to talk about it. And sometimes in father-son relationships, those can become those healthy outlets. Because as your son comes to you with something, you can relate to that and say, oh, yeah, I dealt with that. And this is what I learned. And you can create those kind of more intimate connections in, in that way. It's just it starts with us. It starts with us being willing to be uncomfortable, which is mm. sometimes the hardest thing. Mm. No, I've, I've learned that lesson. But to then apply that lesson and modify it to accept the same in different settings in your life. I think that's the important one, especially to, to your children, because there you are for years, you have been trying to be, well, I'm the dad and I teach mm -hmm. you. So there is this kind of natural uh, relationship there. But then that, that paradigm sort of shifts a bit because at some stage you want this young person to grow up and they will be uncomfortable times yeah. 
often enough roused because that person is spreading their wings, sometimes mm -hmm. in not so nice ways. It's all part and parcel. And then to now open yourself up, uh, to not be, ah, but I said so because I'm your father, uh, but rather to actually say, well, hmm, yeah, now been there. Yeah, and that's, um, I actually learned the hard way by kind of being on as the son in that relationship. You know, it was very, we had a very good relationship because of that hierarchy. You know, he was a father, I was the son. But then once I got into my late teens and 20s and got out of the house, it was very, it got became much and much harder for us to connect because I wanted to be myself and have him respect who I'm becoming. And of course, that didn't jive with the father son dynamic. And one of the things too, I've found that as parents and as the older generation raising these children, a lot of times we feel our, it's our responsibility. We've, we've kind of been given this false idea that these children are these empty vessels that we need to pour all of our wisdom and things in so that they can learn and grow and, and become the best person. However, if you've been around any child from birth to seven years old, you know they have their own unique personalities and they are kind of who they are. And so learning to go to figure out who they are, what their strengths are, kind of what their personality is and work with that and, and groom that. Because I think there's a lot of times parents put a lot of pressure on themselves to say, I have to make sure this person, my child doesn't have any negative you know, experiences or doesn't have these challenges. And, and mm -hmm. if we didn't have our challenges, we wouldn't be the people we are now. And so it's, it's sometimes we shoot ourselves in the foot by mm -hmm. trying not to work with who our children are, but trying, because I know for me, it was kind of this. And it wasn't said directly, but it was just a story. It was a story that I created after a while in my head of don't be myself. Whatever I do, don't be who I am, be who they want me to be. Mm -hmm. And so un unprogramming that and, and uncovering that has been this a long process that still goes on because it's when I get uncomfortable, it can sometimes I can slide right back into people pleasing and and you know becoming whoever they need me to be so that I feel more comfortable instead of being who I am authentically in that moment, you know. So it's can be a hard process, especially when you've not been doing that. But it, it's like you said, you can, you're here now, you're watching this, you're listening to this, you can choose today to shift. And then one step leads to the next step. And, and then it starts that cascade effect. So it doesn't have to be so hard. It can be as simple as, you know, you know, son, I haven't done everything right. And I didn't know everything. And now I want, I'm learning things and I want to work with you, you know, instead of, especially was it the understanding the shifts of childhood the, you know when they need you when they start to pull away and 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 what those patterns are and why, and why they're necessary and work with that i see some i feel so bad for a lot of my friends now being in my 40s so many of their kids are leaving the house and they're just struggling with emptiness syndrome because they didn't prepare themselves along the way you know there's like that's my child they're always gonna be my child and wait where are you going and we can we can look at just all right you know from this time to this time they're in this growth period and this time to this time and this age to this age they're doing this and from this age to this age they're going to start going through this process of individualization and, and learning to get out into the world and so we can do our best to support that i mean i'm sure as any parent knows it's not easy to watch your child that you've been so solely responsible for and suddenly become independent and start to leave and not need you as much but if we're aware of that we can at least mitigate it a little bit make it a little less scarring and, and jarring <laughs> and it's i guess it's it's our it's our 
time to realize that these things have to be and that that we cannot change them i mean i've learned to to ride the waves of anxiety the waves of negative emotions i've learned to accept that they are not there for forever that's good but it's still when you're in the middle of a prolonged wave more like a tsunami of change that you know will leave your life completely well it can be devastating uh, but it it your life has changed forever because you can't hold that tsunami back you can't hold back your youngsters becoming their own individual mm -hmm. persons and wanting to do their leaving their mark on on humanity um so yes it is damn 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 heavy duty should be talking about today um <laughs> for me actually <laughs> so <laughs> lots of lots of fall <laughs> hey uh this is Jason, you're you're a great guy and if if you stir up so many emotions in me it must be the same with many of my listeners if they want to get hold of you if they want to work with you how does that work i'm pretty easy to get a hold of if you're on the internet you're on social media uh jason b kendrick.com is my address j-a-s-o-n-b-k-e-n-d-r-i-c-k all one word that's my website uh, i do group coaching, individual coaching. I have uh, spiritual tourism trips that I do. Um, and then the books and, and things that we're working on as well. Plus, if you're on Facebook or Instagram, Jason B. Kendrick, you can find me on there and just reach out with questions, reach out with needs. Um, I The nice thing too is like, I'm, I have these amazing friends like, like you and some of my other friends I work with. So we can if I'm not the, the perfect one for the work for you, I know we're going to find somebody. So please like the, the, take the step, ask for help because we all need help. We all need support because this is a nonstop ongoing growing journey. Every time I feel like I've got it handled, I shift to the next level and it's the next lesson. And so, you know, don't feel bad. We're all in it together. <laughs> and it is, it is. And guys, the other thing I want to say, uh, you would, I mean, many men are into sport. You will not find an Olympic athlete without a performance coach, without oh. someone who guides him. Uh, the coach is always instrumental in that, in teams as well as in individual sports. I mean, if you go to top CEOs, 500 companies, uh, you will not find a single one without a, not a performance coach. They call them a bit different, uh, but it's basically they want to have someone who is holding them accountable, who is working with them so that they can come out and be the best person ever. Well, yeah, here I mean, that's, we are. that's a great point. Yeah. <laughs> here we are. Oh, no, no, no. I know it all better. I know it all better. That's a great point too. As, as you're looking, if you make that choice, and you decide you want to have a coach, make sure your coach has a coach. Oh, you don't want to have somebody who's coaching you from that I know everything point. If they're not growing themselves and learning themselves, there's going to be a plateau and a limit of what they can help you with. Oh, so good point. If they're not, you know, if you, if, because I have my coaches, I have my coach and he has his coach, and then they sometimes both gang up on me when I need it. So <laughs> make, make sure your coach has a coach as you're looking. <laughs> and it just shows because we all, I think the more, the more we learn on this journey, the more we accept that we are only just scratching the surface of this black box up there and that 
maybe we have addressed some of the issues, but there are so many more that we could address and be better people in the in the near future. And that's the the tempting, the tantalizing thing for me. That's why I get up at six in the morning to talk to people like Jason. And then at, you know, soon I go to work and do a full day work. That is why I do that, because I I recognize every day with these interviews that I'm doing how much I can still improve, how much work there is still to be done, and not as a chore, but as a beautiful, beautiful opportunity to grow into the person that I want to be. So the question is, who do you want to be when you grow up? Well, that question keeps coming and coming and coming because I keep growing and I love that. Yeah, so I think Jason, the biggest thing to, to keep in mind too as we do this because we're always growing is how fast do you want to grow? Because huh. you can do it on your own and it'll yeah. be the slow plotting process yeah. or you can have help and join with other people who are also growing and then multiply the speed you know, exponentially. Exactly. And I think that's that's where the coach comes in. That's where essentially those people come in. And you choose your coaches and you might have several coaches uh, down mm. the line or even parallel, depending upon the priorities that you set yourself right this in this phase of your life. And that is beautiful. So my coaches were sobriety initially, but nowadays my coaches are far more uh, mindfulness, are far more living life to the fullest. Mm. And now maybe addressing the the different male masks that I'm wearing. Damn, it never stops. Uh, oh. But I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't have it any other way, guys. Right. I wouldn't have it any other way because this is me. This is being alive. This is mm. being that little bit out there, uncomfortable. Enough uncomfortable for me now to recognize, actually, I don't need to wait until I'm this uncomfortable there. I recognized, hey, hang on, I'm uncomfortable because I've I've actually found something else where I can improve. Cool, let's do it. Yeah. And that's and always that, a good point to keep in mind too, that change is inevitable, change is going to happen, yeah. and you really have only two choices. You can either be swept up by the tsunami of change and just be turned in, in the wave, or you can get up on top of it and surf it. That's exactly. about the conscious, you know, it, it's going to happen. So... Mm. Which, which do you prefer, the tumble dryer in the middle of the wave, or do you want to be on top of it surfing it? <laughs> Trust me, guys, for 45 years I tumbled. <laughs> oh, yeah. And there were a few bottles coming my way. Oh, there's another yes. one. Oh, there's another one. <laughs> yeah. Yep, that was me too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cool. Jason, I feel this is not the last interview we have done. We will explore other parts of Europe. I feel we have many more things to uncover and to discuss. Yeah. <laughs> I think so too. But for now today i leave you all guys out there with this these beautiful insights uh with regards to the masculinity and with regards to to our opportunities that we have as men to relook at ourselves and really ask the questions are we happy with where we are at and if you are content and your relationship is all beautiful and you you feel that the relationship with your with your children is wonderful I'm so pleased for you. I'm really, really, really am. The chances are 
it is not. <laughs> it is not. <laughs> it is. We always, I, we always have some place we want to improve, and that's exactly. just human nature. So exactly. So here, if you get a chance, you could do far, far, far worse than actually get in touch with Jason. Um, read his book. Show us your book, please. I have uh, two books. Uh, it's it's not your life at you. Which if you go on my website, you can find them, and they're also on Amazon, on Kindle. Um, those are really about the power of perspective and looking at your life through the point of choice mm-hmm. that maybe I chose to have this father. Maybe I chose to have these experiences within my life. And mm-hmm. what did I learn from them and having that help to lead you to maybe your purpose or maybe your passion. And cause I know, especially in Western culture, there's a lot of victim mentality. Oh, it's not my fault. It's my parents' fault. It's the school mm-hmm. system's fault. It's my economical upbringing's fault. And as we all know, we don't get out of childhood unscathed, but once you become an adult, no matter what happened, it's your responsibility to heal it and work with it. Mm. And that usually starts with a shift in mindset. So perspective is really the key. Nice, 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 nice. And we both have got soon another book to add to yeah. it there. From Breakdown to Wake Up is a work that both of us have contributed to. It's a multi-offer book where we have got 16 offers telling 16 different stories, but all highlighting that like a phoenix out of the ashes, you need to burn first to learn the lessons and then you arise as the the new phoenix, as the the version 2.0, as the upgrade. And uh, it was a beautiful project to work with. It's in pre-sale now. Um, but by the time, unfortunately, when this, this interview airs, we are well out there. You can go straight to uh, the internet, to, to Amazon and get it there. And for those of you who can't remember big things like long names, jasonbkendrick.com, for example, just look down there uh, in the description of the video and the podcast. You will have the information there. But equally, there will be uh, a... Um, a link towards our book from breakdown to wake up and some 16 beautiful stories that might might rattle your cage that might uh make you listen up and maybe ask is that really the life that i want to live for if these guys could transform into the better versions of themselves maybe i can do too And I think that would be a beautiful, beautiful outcome of you reading our book. I agree. (laughs) Jason, thank you so much for coming onto my show. It was an absolute honor. Thank you so much, Stefan. I mean, I knew we were going to have fun, but that was so much more fun than I thought we were going to have. It's just, it is, yeah, it is, it's beautiful, the people that we meet nowadays. uh, And I wouldn't have it any other way. And you guys out there, look after yourself. Make the most out of this day. Make choices. Make choices. Don't let life live you. Just just think, okay, what do I want to do now? You want to have a burger for breakfast? Make the choice. That's cool. Treat yourself of what it is. That obviously gives you something. Or you could say, well, okay, I eat something healthy now. Or I choose to rehydrate. I choose to go out and have a look at Jason's book. That's absolutely cool. You could go out there and have a look at my book. That is absolutely cool too. You could also choose to subscribe to this channel. You could choose to to leave a review on this channel. There are many things you can choose. So choose wisely. (laughs) (laughs) Guys out there, look after yourself. Jason to you. Have a fantastic day. Thank you so much. Bye. See you later. Bye-bye.